Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. A lot like the first lockdown that we had almost a year ago. Premier Doug Ford has declared a second state of emergency and is introducing these uh, public health measures. Uh, Global's Brianna Carnegie has some of those details. Ontario is declaring a state of emergency. We expect this to remain in place for at least 28 days. Starting 12.01 a.m. Thursday, Ontarians are required to stay at home with the exception of essential purposes, such as getting groceries, medical needs, exercise, or essential work. Sometime between now and Thursday, the government is also introducing additional public health measures. It includes limiting outdoor gatherings to five people, a recommendation to wear a mask outdoors when social distancing isn't possible, restricting non-essential retail stores to operate within the hours of 7 a.m and 8 p.m. and restricting non-essential construction projects. As for schools, students in Toronto, Peel, York, Hamilton and Windsor-Essex will not return to in-person learning until February 10th. When it comes to our children, I will not take any unnecessary risks. Brianna Carnegie, Global News. Well, okay, so what's the impact going to be? And, and Brianna's uh, reporting there, you heard that, uh, well, for instance, London area schools, which are still closed down now, they will open, I, I guess, on the 20th uh, because of that shutdown. Hamilton and, and other schools in Toronto, Peel, York, and uh, Windsor-Essex, well, we don't know at this stage, at least another few weeks anyway till uh, the early part of February. Joining us to uh, get the lowdown on how this is going to impact boards of education, uh, please welcome back to the program Don Danko. Don, of course, is the chair of the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board. Uh, Don, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could jo- join us today. Good morning, Bill. Thanks for having me. Your reaction to to the Premier's announcement, as I say, we already had the extended uh, Christmas lockdown, and uh, so you're working under that right now. Uh, it's going to be a lot longer. What kind of uh, an impact is this going to have on your board? Well, first, I, I want to acknowledge and, and say that we appreciate that there's finally some clear direction from the Ontario government. Um, as you know, the, the, the shift to remote learning, uh, that announcement came after we went into the holiday break in December. And so having some, some time to make sure that families can you know, plan ahead, staff can finalize and adapt their lesson plans, uh, boards can be prepared is, is helpful. Um, but it is an, a big impact. And I know that we're hearing from staff that this is challenging. Um, we're hearing from families. Some families are saying, I, I don't know how I'm going to support my child because I need to go to work. And while there are some additional supports now available, so the, the federal government has the, the recovery caregiver benefit for families, we know that there's a significant impact, and in particular on working women. Um, so we, we know that we need to be a bit flexible over the next couple of weeks. We need to be responsive to the needs of families and staff as we get through this together. But ultimately, uh, I think everybody needs to be concerned about the COVID number and the cases in our communities, and we all need to start doing more to get those numbers down. Uh, let's talk numbers, if we could, for a couple of minutes, Don. I know you and I had the discussion uh, back at the beginning of the school year in September uh, about the projections at that stage of the number of students who were going to do at-home learning as opposed to going actually in the classroom. And, and I think there was a bit of a surprise, especially in the Hamilton board here, about the uptake and the number of people that said, no, no, we're going to keep our kids home. Is is that still an option at this stage? Because I'm hearing from some parents that are saying, look, at, I, I had my child in school. Uh, if these numbers keep going the way they're going, I don't know if it's going to be safe anymore. I'd like to opt and bring them back home and let them do the online learning is what, what kind of an impact is that having and is that still a possibility for some parents 
That is absolutely a possibility, and, and I know some families that are able to support ongoing remote learning beyond this extension are definitely considering it. Um, we do have a transition point that was planned for the end mm-hmm. of this month and into early February when we typically see our progress reports go home. Uh, that was a natural point where if someone was going to change teachers and change classes or educators, um, then it, it, they would have their evaluation up to that point, and it would be easy to make that transition. Um, So at this point, families can expect to learn more about how they would signal that they would like to go into longer-term remote learning and stay in remote learning beyond this extension. Um, They should get communication about that over the next week, and there's an application process for that. So that's that is an option, and I don't know. As I say, I've heard a couple of people that said, "Yeah, we're going to opt in and try to do that as well." What kind of pressure does that put on you, though? I mean, uh, as as a board, uh, because of resources have to be reallocated if there's going to be a huge shift there. Absolutely, and I know in the fall we experienced a huge. reorganization, um, in part because more people selected remote learning than we had anticipated. So we had very small class sizes, um, and we had to to shift those to align with the funding that we receive, uh, noting that trustees actually allocated additional funds so that we could lower class sizes beyond what they would normally be in person. So at this time, if we were shifting more students to remote, we would likely have to create additional classrooms. We we maxed out our enrollment in a lot of those, those cases. Um, so we would need additional funding for additional staff to to help do this because we're not in a position now to go in and change up uh, the, the the class cohorts and and reorganize classes in person at this time. Well, and that's one of the uh, announcements I guess we can anticipate. Uh, we did hear from the premier yesterday, uh, as you know, Don, that said that uh, in today's session, and there will be another session today uh, from the premier, they're going to try to give some details about exactly how this is going to roll out. Uh, and funding is going to have to be part of that, I would think, anyway, because uh, you're, you're certainly not the only board that's going to be impacted by this. Absolutely, and our board has already decided to go into a deficit budget um, so that we could allocate some of our contingency funding in to, to reduce class sizes. We recognize the importance of minimizing um, how many people are together and trying to maximize the space between people. But um, if we need to make additional changes, yes, funding is going to be required, and, and that could be for a number of things. The province and Minister Lecce have signaled that some of the funding that they're promising that will be flowing from the federal government would be for things like additional um, PPE, for additional cleaning, but they did signal that it could be for additional staff. And I think that could function or help us in different ways. So if we go back into person uh, on February the 10th, one of the areas where uh, there there is additional risk uh, when students are in school is when they're having lunch. And as people will know, if you're in the school system, at lunchtime, we have some level of supervision for, for classes, but it, we don't necessarily have a person in every classroom. So there could be an opportunity for having additional supervision either in the, in, uh, at the lunch break or on the recess grounds, you know, so that we're making sure students are staying apart or wearing masks if they cannot uh, because there's additional restrictions on that right now. Um, but it could also be hiring additional teachers or educators to, again, create uh, some additional classrooms to help with the class sizes and to accommodate those requests for remote learning. 
And, and we don't know how much that's going to cost as of yet, obviously. I'm sure you guys at the board are doing your, your number crunching as we speak uh, to, to come up with some sort of an idea about the estimate on that. Uh, but I, I want to caution people as well, though, because we're all taxpayers here, Don. Uh, it's one thing for the, the province to say to the board, such as yours, uh, you can dip into the reserves. It's okay to do that. Uh, that's great that you've got permission to do that. But the reserves are actually, it's not a big pile of money that's just sitting there. I mean, that's, that's for, well, unexpected situation. I mean, a roof that needs repairing all of a sudden, you know, it starts leaking and things like that. That's what the reserve is for. And if you ex if you exhaust that reserve, uh, you guys are going to find yourself in financial dire straits. Absolutely. And what we've done is we, we do have a deficit budget. We are not using all of our reserves at this time. And we needed to be positioned to be uh, able to invest where necessary as we came into this second wave. We expected there may be unexpected costs uh, going into this winter and spring. And, and so uh, I'm glad that the government did come back and they did fund our enrollment based on projections. That was a significant gap that we were facing uh, because our projections uh, were a little bit higher than our actual enrollments um, because, you know, people in kindergarten in particular chose to, to teach their kids from home and they, they have that ability. So we are in a, a reasonable position. We, we do have reserves that are available to spend. Um, however, we need to look into what is September going to look like and what uncertainties do we face over the next year as well. Uh, let's talk about the impact this is going to have. And you mentioned about PPEs and other things, that, which are other costs that are going to have to be included in this. Uh, one of the things that they talked about specifically yesterday, of course, is students in grades one through three now must wear masks in school. Uh, is is there an anticipation here that the government's going to fund that? Because that's obviously a cost that uh, heretofore you hadn't had to work or worry about. We don't have additional details on that at this time. So our board has already moved a motion to have all students from kindergarten to grade 12 wearing masks uh, mm -hmm. as possible, recognizing that we may need to have some reasonable exemptions where students aren't able to do that. And those have been cloth masks. The board did uh, provide masks to families who, who needed that, so that was paid for. And I believe we may still have uh, some supply available. But I, I don't know if the government is going to consider cloth masks acceptable or if they might provide some different direction there. Um, so that's what we're waiting for further details on. Well, that's one of the things that surprised me yesterday, too, because I, I know you and I have had this discussion in the past, and we were talking with Manny Figueroa about this when you guys were deciding on policy. Uh, I'm surprised they actually had to say that students in grades 1 through 3 had to wear masks. I thought that was already being done. It probably is by most boards, but uh, but obviously it's it's going to be enshrined in, in the new protocol here, which is which is good news uh, for the, uh, the parents that are concerned about that sort of thing. Uh, you mentioned about those who are still going to be in school. That's not going to happen for a while now, uh, but is, is there... A, an opportunity here for you to revisit some of the protocols you have put in place vis-a-vis, uh, -vis, as you mentioned, lunchtime, social distancing on the playground and things of that nature, uh, to do an evaluation as to how it's worked and how you might want to tweak it. I mean, you've, you've, you've got time now. You've got another couple of weeks now that, that, uh, that you can reassess these things without any negative impact it's going to have on classroom time. Well, I think our protocols have, have been effective um, throughout the fall. I think people were perhaps students in particular on the playgrounds. I know that I heard sometimes they're getting a little closer than, than they're supposed to and outside it was time where they didn't need to wear masks. So I think um, what we will need to do is reinforce and, and remind everybody what the protocols are, what the screening is. People have perhaps have gotten out of the habit of doing that daily screening, which is still important because we still want to make sure people are getting tested if there's signs of symptoms, even if you're not attending in person. Um, we have the opportunity. We've already done a lot of work 
work to make sure that our HVAC systems and our ventilation systems are working well, and we've put um, you know air purifiers in place. But there there may be some opportunities there. So certainly we'll look at um, you know what is the staffing levels, um, how are we doing our cleaning protocols, and and make sure that uh, we will continue to be effective with our protocols. But I believe that they are solid, and um, a lot of it will be just. Re- reminding everyone and, and restarting those protocols as we welcome students back. I will mention that we do have some students that are in our buildings right now, and those are some of our special education students that have very pervasive needs. So we do have some staff, uh, some educators, teachers, and EAs who are supporting those students in person during uh, the next few weeks. I was going to ask you about that. I'm glad you brought that up because obviously that's an area of concern for a great number of people. Uh, that uh, when they say that you know things are going to be shut down, uh, for, well, this board and of course the other ones that we just talked about uh, for another few weeks until uh, early in February, uh, th- what was going to happen with special needs kids? But you've already made that accommodation clearly. So that was a direction provided by the ministry when we went to remote learning January 4th that we would continue to provide in-person supports where we couldn't support a student remotely. So it isn't for necessarily all special education students. Uh, there, There is a criteria that, that's met and it, it is those students that really have a significant needs for support. Um, one of the challenges with that is these students often can't wear masks or don't understand physical distancing. And so um, it is a higher risk job for those staff that are in schools and our board uh, our board did pass a motion to request um, to the ministry that these staff receive uh, pandemic pay uh, because they, they are at higher risk they are our frontline workers right now and that we really think about prioritizing these staff as well as the staff in the education system for vaccines as we we determine what that second phase of the rollout of vaccines looks like. Uh, you mentioned about testing and about uh, obviously monitoring what's going on on a daily basis. I know the government has talked about new funding right now. Uh, we're going to provide 300,000 rapid COVID-19 tests uh, for workplaces, including places like long-term, hair, long-term care facilities, manufacturing and warehouse facilities, things of that nature. Uh, are you okay as far as supplies go, or would you be looking to try to, to tap into that and, and, and get some of those uh, rapid tests? Well, one of the commitments that's been made from the Minister of Education is that their goal is to have more uh, capacity for asymptomatic testing. We have not had that ability to do that as a board. We weren't part of the initial pilot. Um, so we would welcome the ability to do asymptomatic testing that helps us to really understand where we have COVID cases. It would be voluntary, um, but we would need the supplies. And he, they have committed that all schools will have supplies to do that. They didn't indicate if it would be rapid testing, but there was also a commitment to ensure that there's a capacity in the system to have very quick turnaround time for test results because we recognize that that is an important piece when we have staff or students who are waiting for a result to see if they can go back to class, if a class needs to isolate or not. Um, They they did recognize the importance of that. How frustrating is it to be in this uh, almost sense of deja vu, Don? I mean, we went through this a year ago. Uh, and, you know, the schools were shut down, they opened up again, they shut down again, and there was the concern. Of course, the school year was, was adversely affected to a great extent. Uh, is there a concern here that we could be going down that road again? I, I know it's only, you know, getting into the early days here of a, of a new year, but, uh, you know, if, if, if the past is any indication right now, uh, even the, the deadline they talked about here about early February is not carved in stone, is it? 
It's not carved in stone. And I think that is one of the critical pieces. It, it, it does feel like deja vu. It feels like we've had this conversation before, Bill. It I feels like maybe Groundhog Day. <laughs> I'm waking up every day and the same thing seems to be happening. And I think people are tired. <laughs> They're really tired because every time this happens and we have a new announcement and there's a change in direction, um, that require that creates a lot of anxiety. It creates uncertainty. So what we're hoping for at this point is that we have the numbers, we have the trends. They, those should be easy to track um, and, and important to track, so that we have timely decisions like the one we had for this extension for our region. So going forward, I think it's so important that the government is just uh, providing decisions and communication as early as possible, so that we can prepare. And I, I do know that they signaled one of the things they're trying to avoid is opening schools and then closing them and having this yo-yo effect where, um, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to get people back to school, but we're not in a position um, where where that's going to be feasible with the numbers in the community. At the end of the day, we really need to get those community numbers down, and that is and we all have a responsibility to, to, to participate and follow the measures to get those numbers down. That is what will get us back to school long-term in person. Oh, exactly. And I know it's got to be frustrating because I've talked to a number of your teachers about this over the last number of weeks, and, and they're feeling the same pressure too. I mean, it was just before Christmas, I think a week before that, I had the Minister Lecce on the program, and he said, absolutely, positively, no, there'll be no extension of the Christmas break. Well, you know, now you see, here we are. Uh, I, I understand it's, it's, it's obvious it's, a, it's very movable here because of the data, but your, your point's well taken, though, Don. I mean, this, the indicators here, I mean, we just got the daily numbers about the number of new cases. If those numbers don't start to flatten, out or decrease, uh, you as a board, I, I guess, would anticipate that, you know what, maybe maybe we better prepare ourselves that, uh, that maybe this closure is going to be extended for a long period of time. Hope that's not the case, but uh, the numbers tell a story, don't they? They do, and and we are prepared um, for this contingency. We have been preparing for remote for the entire summer and fall, but I want to recognize the the work and the dedication that we've seen from our staff and our educators to continually adjust. Because uh, when you go back in remote for two weeks and you're an educator and you're looking at your long-term lesson planning and how you're going to deliver the curriculum, you might um, make a plan for this short-term remote period knowing that you can catch up in person and, and get some additional things done in person. Now they're having to pivot again and look at, okay, how do I adjust for a longer period of time? How am I assessing my students? And it does does require uh, you know a lot of work and, and we are hearing such positive feedback from families who despite the frustrations despite the technical challenges are acknowledging that our educators and our staff are really stepping up to do their very best to make this positive uh, for students because we are we are concerned about how students are faring through all of this absolutely uh, Don Danko the chair of the board of the Hamill Board of Education uh, Don uh, continued good luck with this here's uh, fingers crossed that uh, this is only a, a short-term situation but we'll certainly stay in touch thank you so much Bill the Bill Kelly show weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML